You know what's and, crazy? I'm pretty sure if you get fired from a Chipotle, you can't apply at a different Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> There's more accountability in Chipotle <laughs> than there is in many police departments. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Habituation Room Podcast live stream we've made it to sunday just disrupting your family time because what is family we can't see them um yeah here we are five days out from xmas or chris Mekis or um christ menos as we have coined before on this show uh i've got way too much holiday cheer in my house i don't know about you i'm just trying to you know fight the sadness bro just fight that sadness. Thank you all for being here on YouTube and on Twitch. And in the future, uh, if you're in the future listening as a podcast, do we make it? Number one, I always ask you that. Second, can you rate this podcast and give it five stars? That'd be really tight. I read all of your reviews. They're super, super sweet. Um, and thank you so much for those super chats. Uh, David Hernandez, you're so funny. Love you. Likewise. I mean, I assume you are funny but you're definitely lovable because you're here. And we've got such a good show for you today. Uh, journalist Shane Bauer is here. We're going to talk all about that just like super light topic of Syria. I know, I know some of you want to just like get your, you know, your sort of like um, your teehees and your hoo-hoos out. They're the hoo-hoos, right? Anyway, we're talking about Syria. He's working on a new book, and we're also going to talk about um, – Black Lives Matter demonstrators and police violence in small towns. Uh, he's got a new article out in the New Yorker about uh, Vallejo, California. Also, comedian Anna Valenzuela is here. So excited to have her on the pod. First time. Um, and thank you all again for being here. Uh, remember to share the stream, like it, press the buttons, you know, all the little bells, all the little whistles. Turn on your notifications so you don't miss a beat. We also we have a Twitter account at Bituation Pod. So we'll like send out clips and announcements. Uh, um, so follow us on Twitter, you know? Also, maybe I should just dedicate it to like little kittens in scarves and like lizards with top hats. If I just did that with the Twitter uh, account, I feel like that would be more of a contribution to the online discourse than what is happening right now. Eh? A little bit of a foreshadowing of where we're going. But anyway, this show is, of course, free because hashtag content. And uh, that means you can donate, uh, tip us, uh, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. Thank you so much for your tips. If you donate and tip us 20 bucks or more, um, you get a shout out. So thanks to Sarah W., David P., Juan V., Vern V., and Lexi D. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you so much to everyone. And a portion of your tips this week, we're still focused on Georgia. Just get the psycho Barbie, you know, uh, married to the stock exchange, Kelly Leffler out of the Senate. Just get her out. All right. As well as David, I can't even show up for my own debate, Purdue. And we are doing that by donating to Mi Gente, which is a Latinx organization that is, you know, mobilizes immigrant organizations and communities. And Georgia, of course, has a huge Latino community. And um, they're working and knocking doors there, getting out the vote. Um, and so we're going to donate a portion to Mi Gente. 
So please, TBR Live, TBR Live on Cash App, TBR Dash Live on Venmo. And thank you in advance. And let, let's just get into this week. What am I? What could I possibly be angry about this week? Oh, my God. If you were lucky enough to not care about Twitter, not have a Twitter handle, not know who Jimmy Dore is, bless your heart. You might just want to go make a sandwich right now. You might just want to go take a nap for five minutes. You might just want to do anything else. Do anything else because it's probably more productive. And I honestly don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to. Uh, because it has a little bit to do with me and a little bit to do with my guests who I have on. Um, but broadly, what I am bitching about is uh, what, what to me is a pretty bald-faced, bad-faith attempt to divide the left uh, at a time when we need to be coming together around uh, fighting for the American people, uh, when we need to be coming together to uh, work with the progressive squad members that we've successfully gotten elected. Um, no, now is a time for purity politics. Now is a time apparently to antagonize our progressive allies in Congress all over a floor vote over Medicare for all. So this is the discussion, right? Should the squad, specifically AOC, try to withhold their vote for Nancy Pelosi as speaker and then force a vote for Medicare for all on the House floor, which will definitely fail. So there's just that. Um, on this debate, I definitely stand in the no camp on that, but not strongly. Like, I don't think it's, I think a vote on Medicare for all on the House floor could be one of the many tools um, used to try and push for Medicare for all broadly, even though it will fail. Um, the reason I lean no is because um, no major organization that is for and has worked on Medicare for all these many, many years has come out in favor of this strategy. Um, not the nurses union, physicians for universal health care. And I look to them. I look to people who've actually put their bodies on the front line, who've done real work when it comes to moving the needle on this discussion, uh, i.e. not YouTube. Sorry. Um there's some really good thoughts and writers and 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 um, tweet threads about this. A.D. Barkin, who you know obviously is has been on the forefront of the Medicare for All movement. He is dying of ALS. Um, he believes we need to do deep organizing and build district to district support, um, not necessarily top down. Um, work that we haven't done yet. Dave Sirota wrote a great piece in the Jacobin, basically outlining you know, hey, we changed the head of the Ways and Means Committee. Like lots of other wonky ways that we can build support for Medicare for all. But the real thing to me, and I know um, I know not everyone agrees with this, but this is what I'm going to say. The real thing to me is where this entire discussion came from. It matters. It matters. Because two weeks ago, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez engaged in an online discussion brought up um, by an L.A. charger, Justin Jackson, um, that basically was an ultimatum issued by the YouTube internet celebrity and a headliner of Flappers Comedy Club and pretty much only Flappers, uh, Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore. And the ultimatum was, you better bring this or else you're not a, a real progressive, right? That is it. And when I saw this two weeks ago, I was like, I know exactly where this ends. I know exactly what is happening. And the reason that I know exactly what, how this ends and what is going to happen is because 
I've been in the crosshairs of Jimmy Dore and Jimmy Dore's trolls before. And um, part of the reason that I was was actually because he called a friend of mine and journalist who we're going to have on the show very, very, very shortly, a CIA operative. An independent journalist in Syria calling him a CIA operative. You know how dangerous that is? CIA operative slash ISIS slash uh, whatever the hell else he invented. And because I asked him to not call my friend an independent journalist a CIA operative, he then went off on me calling me a piece of shit, a coward to come on his fucking show. Uh, he just negged me. I think this is how he does things with women is he just negs them. Like he probably just with his wife was like, oh, come on. Oh, you're too ugly to find someone else like that. Like that's the energy. Or maybe it was come on my show, babe. And then like marriage proposal. Serious though. This is, this is like the, the level, the level of vitriol that he lobbed at me. You could see that on my Twitter feed, et cetera. Um, so I knew oh shit, this is a guy, not only, because it's not about me, I don't give a shit. It was funny, actually. It was hilarious how crazy he got. <laughs> this is the guy who goes on Tucker Carlson's show, just giving a total hat tip to the right wing. Uh, he's denied Assad gas attacks in Syria. He spread conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton having pneumonia. Um, he's burned bridges with so many people. And to the point where the woman who wrote the apology to me, get this, get the apology to me that Jimmy was forced to issue when he went after me and Shane, I know that person, I know that person and he no longer talk. He didn't even write it himself, somebody else did. Also, BT Dubs, he was on a, a vacation to Venice when he was uh, berating me. And he, uh, that's why he called me a page shit chill instead of a page paid shill. A page chill. And I can just imagine him with like a plate of spaghetti on like a gondola being like, you are a page chill. Come on my show. You know, like, like it would, it's just fun. It's just fun. So it made sense then that two weeks later, after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez actually engaged in this tweet from Justin Jackson about whether or not to bring a Medicare for all vote to the floor and whether or not that was a good idea, that... Jimmy then went on his show and straight up made fun of her and called her stupid, quote, stupid for engaging and taking the bait and then called on his followers to, quote, haunt her. That she was so stupid that she actually took his bait, which he totally issued as bait, and then called her evil and called her standing against Medicare for all. That's right. This is someone who has been fighting to get us stimulus money. This is someone who goes out and actually is standing in lines to help feed people in her district with the mask on that says Medicare for all on. Yeah, no, that's all a ruse. That's all. She's evil, clearly. And that's how I knew it would end. I knew it would end with him saying, ha ha, you took the bait. Fuck you. Because actually, this isn't about Medicare for all. This isn't about him caring that people are losing their health care. This isn't about truly trying to be strategic and get a vote, get this piece of legislation passed. This is an effort to bait people. This is an effort to make get give him more clicks. This is an effort to make money, baby. And why? Because, and this is the last thing I know I got to move on, because he's not accountable. And every one of us should be asking ourselves whenever we listen to anyone speak about any topic, 
who are they accountable to? Do they have a workplace? Do they have a community organization? Do they have a deadline? Do they have an AA group? Do they have a dance company? Like who gets in trouble if you mess up? Whose life is on the line if you fuck it up? Who gets hurt? Who holds you accountable? Who tells you when you're out of line? Who holds you? Who, who, who holds you accountable? Because let me tell you this, if you rock up to a Medicare for all meeting spouting the kind of vitriol that Jimmy Dore spouts, they will throw you the fuck out. And not because they're weak libs, but because that's not how progressives treat one another, because that's not how you get things done, because that's not how you build coalitions. That's not simply how you win. And many people will tell you that. Anyone who's successfully done anything will tell you that, right? Any look at our history of social movements. You don't win by going nuclear on people and baiting them to come on your show. That's not it's not the MLK was just like, you better come on my show, you evil weakling. I don't know. Was that was that his strategy? No, I think it was building mass movements. I think it was knocking doors. I think it was doing the shit that AOC's been doing her entire career. Mind you, two years she's been in office. Two years, and we're all already ascribing her he she's evil. She's despised by Democrats in, in the House. Despise. She won't even get a committee appointment. And yet she's the enemy? I don't think so. So I knew it would end like this. And I'm just, I'm fucking done with it. I'm sick of it. And I want to say that most of the online left is not actually accountable to real people struggling. There are pe some people who are. There are some people who are, not, who are not. This is why I have activists and organizers and journalists on this show to hold us all accountable, to tell us what's going on in the streets, to tell us what's happening behind closed doors, to tell us about the meetings, to help us figure out where we can pressure folks, right? You can't be accountable. And I know some of you guys think, well, well, if you're accountable to your audiences, because you wouldn't get a following, right? If you were, you wouldn't get a following if you, if you were so terrible, you wouldn't get a, no, no, no. You get more of a following when you're terrible. You don't get held accountable by, by, by an audience because we're selling the audience. I'm not. I got 11,000 followers, baby. I don't have any. I don't got clout. I don't need this and I don't want to need this. But if it were my only income and if I were a bad faith actor, fuck, man, I'd take money from anybody, I guess. But that's not how I roll. So anyway, I just want to se separate that and say, it matters who you're accountable to. It matters whose lives are on the line when you spout bullshit. Lastly, I'm just going to end with this tweet, and I'm sorry this has gone on long, but uh, former national organizer for Bernie Sanders, Claire Sandberg, tweeted something that I thought was really astute, which she says, what's most depressing about this protracted meltdown is that it reveals a broad assumption among many online leftists that individual politicians could save us if they only tried hard enough and that Twitter bullying is organizing. And it's not, guys. Organizing is organizing. And it's our job to lift those folks up and to listen to them. And that's not who's behind this current call right now. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it matters where it comes from. All right. And with that, you guys, I feel good. By the way, did I tell you this was a comedy show? And we have <laughs> another comedian 
on this show. You've seen her on Comedy Central's Roast Battle. You can hear her each week on her podcast, 12 Questions, and she co-hosts Dave Yates Ask, uh, she and co-host Dave Yates Ask Interesting People 12 Questions About Their Journeys Through Life. Please welcome comedian Anna Valenzuela. <laughs> Hi! What's oh going God. on? Oh, girl, uh, you know, uh, just surviving. I'm I'm at a friend's house who's going through chemotherapy um, because our healthcare system is a, a nightmare, and it's just nice to have somebody around. Um, so yeah, I'm just doing that, enjoying enjoying the holiday. <laughs> yeah, getting all the cheer you can. Yes, yes. yes. My God, is and and I want to bring in also because I mentioned I name dropped him. Um, he's journal. He's a journalist and author known for his undercover reporting for Mother Jones Magazine. You can read his book American Prison, which was listed as one of the New York Times' ten best books of 2018. He's won many awards, including the Harvard Goldsmith Prize for Investigative Reporting and the National Magazine Award for Best Reporting. And he recently beat my show News Broke out for a Webby, for which I will never forgive him please welcome shane bauer <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> you knew. <laughs> no you know what though it's so sad because you guys you guys ever dm the people who follow you who you're like could you boost this yeah yeah <laughs> like right and how many you only have a few like you can only send that dm out like once a year to be like could you boost this <laughs> for that webby i was like anybody i was like please vote for me and I knew that if I lost to Shane, it would be the only noble loss. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're taking it well. Would you like me to roast him? Uh, Please. You? Okay. Uh, you, you definitely look like if um, Mr. Potato Head did IT. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, lo I love this. <laughs> One guest roasts the other. <laughs> My God, Shane. First, you took it from Jimmy Dore. Now, Anna Valenzuela. Shit. Yeah, I think I'm better with the roast on Twitter than than live with a comedian. I actually, you know, what's so funny? I was thinking, what does Jimmy Dore call his fans? Like Jimmy Dorks, or like <laughs> what are they? Can we call them Jimmy Dorks? Can we call them doorknobs? Like doorknobs, the doorknob. Yeah. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, it's very sad. But anywho, that was what I was bitching about. But we always start this show off with a brief little, "What are you bitching about?" So, Anna, what are you bitching about now? Okay. Um, wow. Uh, all right. I had a serious one, but this is serious show. Long time listener, uh, first time Potter. Okay, here we go. So I'm gonna do something really silly. Um, I grew up in the state of California uh, in a town that was I was the diversity. No one taught me Spanish. My parents whitewashed me for my own protection. And I've been learning Spanish. One of the greatest sources I've been learning Spanish from has been TikTok because I get fun <laughs> slang. And I just learned about a new word and I feel robbed. I feel robbed. It's called Margate which is not just get out, but get out, fall down the stairs, enter a crevice, and then <laughs> fall into the gates of hell. And I am obsessed. I want to yell it all the time. I watch the news. I'll be listening to NPR in the morning. Mitch McConnell will come on. I'll be like, Lagate! like, it's just, ooh, oh, it my God. Good. So uh, that is, I, uh, why, why do we think that not teaching children their language and their culture is going to protect them from racism and capitalism. Why do we think that? It's not, guys. It's not. Uh, my, my mom never taught me Chinese at all. No Mandarin. Didn't get Italian from my dad. Pero hablo espanol ahora. But yeah, it's like 
It's like, yeah, because the English is the language of money. And that means like in 10 years, everyone's just going to speak Mandarin. So yeah, yeah, I'll learn Mandarin. You teach me Spanish. I'll teach you Mandarin and then we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> Sounds good. Largate. Largate. I love it. Okay. That's how I feel about a lot of the online left. Largate. Right. Mm -hmm. Calm down, everybody. I was, I mean, you're right. It is organizing, you know, uh, I just not to brag, just signed up as a member of the DSLA. Hello. Oh, nice. And you know what, the thing about organizing, and I love what you said about accountability. Um, the thing about organizing is it's not fighting with people on Twitter. And I'm in a 12 step community and I got in a real rip roaring fight with somebody. And uh, they said, you know, Anna, by putting them on blast, they could lose their jobs. And that's mm. my accountability is somebody, somebody pulled me aside and said, is this a spiritual thing to do? Is this going to make mm. you happy? Do you want to mm -hmm. be right? Or do you want to be happy? So I hope that there's people out there doing that for other comedians. Um, Cause you know, <laughs> comedian leftists, we need 12 step, honestly, like just for Twitter for like letting go. Yeah. Yeah. Just let it go. It's crazy. Yeah. Shane Bauer, what are you bitching about? Uh, well, today in particular, I was bitching this morning about how much my head hurt after that E40 two short verses last night. I'm sure uh, I'm sure some viewers know what I'm talking about. It was nuts. Uh, and, but it was good because I, I think I've been really tired of the Internet and um, I've kind of just been off it. But I felt like the Internet did a thing at the end of the year, at least for Oakland, by uh, putting E40 and two short live on uh, Instagram. It was just yeah. like the whole city was just going nuts in their living room. Did, could you hear it out the window as well? I don't know. I didn't. I, I I mean, I had it blasting my house. So, but I saw people like around town were just like getting pumps. You know, there's a lot of E40 and Too Short playing around. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. But I think in the, you know, uh, the more serious thing I've been bitching about is, um, this uh the stimulus plan you know it's just uh it's infuriating you know yeah. mm -hmm. six hundred dollars it's just like you know we could have this country covid obviously is so bad here we could have taken all this money that we dumped into banks and just like paid people to stay home you know and right? things would be a lot better but obviously that was not on the table what an idea you know, what an idea, what a common sense solution to uh, a horrible problem. But you know what? You got your $600. So you know what you can do? You can buy one break. You can't buy a set of breaks. You can buy one break. So. <laughs> you can end like half a windshield wiper. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it is, I mean, it's crazy because like, I think my like, my grovel brain is like, well, it's better than nothing. And I'm like, what? Oh, it's awful. And you know, it's going to, if it's a one-time payment, like Republicans are going to be like, you got that one breadcrumb a few months ago. What are you talking about? You know, if, if there's <laughs> any more, like, oh, didn't that tie you over? Ah, well, you shouldn't have eaten it so fast. You got to, you know, break the breadcrumb into smaller breadcrumbs. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think they're just afraid of, people gaining any sort of economic traction you know how can they keep us divided how can they keep us spending money on things to make us feel better if we um have some sense of stability you know uh that's so true yeah no it exactly i mean the way that corporations are going to use this as a reason for like not being able to give us 
you know, paid sick leave, you know, or the fact that they're broke, like, shut the fuck up. They're not broke. Uh, they've been making massive profits in this time. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it looks like it's going to almost be a done deal. So we'll see. We'll have to be somehow happy for it, but, um, we deserve way more. It's almost like they want revolution. That's what I wanted to say. It's like, they want us to like make guillotines. I think so. And just remember, guys, a sword is a guillotine you can take wherever you want. You know, oh, that one guy decapitated his landlord with a sword. And I'm just saying that swords are just mobile guillotines. Just grab one and start making some changes in the world. We are going to be talking about ISIS a little bit later in the program. <laughs> Uh, all right well let's get into this week um looking back what happened this week what do you need to know we're making fun of it all this is the week where this was the week where Pfizer rolled out its COVID-19 vaccine and uh, so did a very clear pecking order with nurses and healthcare workers being among the first to receive it. And next, extremists and war criminals uh, like Mitch McConnell, Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, Prime Minister of Israel, Bibi Netanyahu and Rupert Murdoch. And now I think I'm an anti-vaxxer, you guys. (laughs) I think, or like maybe I just hope there's some side effect to the vaccine, you know, like some secret ingredient, like it leads to things like basic human empathy or <laughs> or death. Like I'm fine with also death, maybe. <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, if you guys didn't hear this, wealthy patients are reportedly trying to bribe hospitals and doctors to get the vaccine. Concierge doctors who work in boutique practices, which I didn't even know was a thing that I hate, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) have been calling hospitals daily. Uh, One administrator in L.A. said that someone tried to offer him $25,000. This is like healthcare Coachella for the ultra wealthy. It's covid Chella. Um, Have I mentioned I'm for Medicare for all? What the fuck? Oh, my God. Let's let's work to make it happen. Um, meanwhile, I haven't been to the doctor all year. And probably when I eventually do get a pap smear, the results will just be vodka. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> Is this uterus a bag of wine? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's so conflicting. How did you guys feel when you saw all these heinous people getting the vaccine and their pale ass arms well i i for me i knew this i mean i'm not shocked i'm really not shocked because you know we knew that resources go to resources in this country go to the wealthy first you know and if they're not supposed to they'll figure out a way to do so you know and um maybe this is my generous assumption that some of these dick bags will get it and they'll stop pushing the propaganda that getting it will make an arm grow out of your head or cause all sorts of problems. I cannot believe how many people in my world are questioning getting the vaccine. Um, Just get it. Um, The RNA, the mRNA research for vaccines has been out for 20 years. And so they just rushed this, but it is, it's most likely not going to have a ton of side effects. And you know what? Corona does. So just 
take the yeah. fucking vaccine oh, and yeah. give it. I mean, not only should healthcare workers get it first, but the frontline workers who work in grocery stores, who work in um, drug and alcohol treatment. I have a friend who has COVID from administering COVID tests to patients as a therapist in a drug and alcohol treatment center. It's bananas. So yeah, I just, you know, I mean, I hope all of their teeth fall out and hair grow in its place for taking those vaccines away from actually useful people. But, you know, I had a feeling this was going to happen. Yeah. Maybe we can send Mitch McConnell and Marco Rubio to like work in Target for, <gasps> and we can just do a little swap skis and the Target workers can help negotiate like an actual, you know, stimulus plan that will help people. I cannot wait to see Mitch McConnell <laughs> in one of those bright red shirts, you know, with all of his weird, patchy, half dead skin. Oh, he's got to be the greeter. Oh, welcome. Oh, welcome to Target. I don't know where anything is. Yeah. All Congress got it, you know, and like, I get that, but also, so did a lot of people who've been naysaying the entire coronavirus writ large. The fact that we're focusing on it too much, as Marco Rubio once said. Well, I'm going to move on to our next topic because it's too painful to think about Mitch McConnell um, getting the COVID vaccine for a little bit too long. And we got to move on. All right, so let's make this quick. This was the week where Mike Pence announced that after receiving many submissions, the name of the members of the U.S. Space Force established under Trump will be called the Guardians. Of the galaxy? No. But the director of Guardians of the Galaxy immediately tweeted, can we sue this dork? <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, and that's what Twitter's for. That's really what it's hey. for. What a beautiful moment. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> no. The Guardians. Hello. Um, I honestly don't mind the name The Guardians as much as I mind their slogan, which apparently is Heritage Mission Culture. Like heritage and culture, why does this already feel fashy? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like very like proud boys in space. Like they're all gonna start chanting, "Moons will not replace us." <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. I oh like. My what God. Are, I don't even know what the space force is for. I'm sure someone in the comments will be like, "Actually, um, it's really important that." But I don't. Is it important? Is it more important than people starving? right now on earth earth um anyway yeah do you guys think the guardians is a good t is a good name we like this oh my god <laughs> i mean i i think i think it needs a rewrite uh obviously for copyright infringement uh purposes duh also, you're right. It does sound super fashy, which I think is the best. I think that's the STD you get from fucking a proud boy is uh, fashy. Um, I'm yeah. all fashy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it does sound gross. And um, I do hope they shoot all of the proud boys into space because that would be very funny to watch their <laughs> hair, their little pompadours like, <laughs> flopping around, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it, we have so much to take care of on this planet. And while space exploration gives people a lot of hope, I love space. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I love space. Okay. Um, but I think we could pause, deal with our shit, and then start looking over the galactic fence at some other things. <laughs> the galactic fence. <laughs> I love that. Mm. Agreed. 
Oh, agreed. All right. Shane, moving on. Last licks on the on Guardians. I agree, Fashy. Okay. We got Fashy. I wonder if they're gonna have like <laughs> shields. Like I want them to have like cool shields. Oh but they're like God. not. Oh, yeah, going they can go back to the um what was the like 2017 uh kind of alt-right look. Remember when they had like yes. basic yeah. men and those guys with the shields and the uh crazy helmets and stuff? Maybe that could yeah. be their Logo. You know they're gonna have Basic shield. Man. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. All I right. Think they should go full battlefield earth. You know what I mean? Dreadlock. Yeah. Or there, there's always like a Spartan guy with the yeah. helmet. You know, could be one of those two. I <laughs> uh, love it. Um, this was the week where the mayor of Atlantic City announced that they would be auctioning off the rights to demolish the defunct Trump Casino to the highest bidder. They're literally going to 9/11 his casino. And this time, Mr. Trump, New Jersey Muslims will be dancing in the streets, uh, just in case you want to know. Uh, and I'm going to join them. I'm going to be there. It's just crazy. I love this story. But also, why do I feel like he's somehow still going to collect the insurance money on this demolition? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Right. What Trump does best is find ways to charge the federal government, state and local governments for his mistakes. And so, yeah, definitely. He's going to get all sorts of kickbacks from this. It's the only way he would let that piece of shit casino get demolished, you know, and uh, I just I can't wait to see, you know, what weird plastic surgery he buys a child with the money he receives. <laughs> from demolishing his own field business. You mean like a next bride thing? I'm like, oh, when you next, said that, I was like, his next bride, you mean? Next bride or like getting Jared Kushner just like that much more Botox so his face just goes dead forever. You know what I mean? Just like, just turns into a block of ice that'll never move. I can't uh -huh. wait for that, you know. Just cut so. through things. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. If we all pull our stimulus checks for $600, maybe we could win this, though, and win the rights to demolish the Trump casino. <laughs> it's it's so like fun. more worth it than half a windshield wiper and half a break. It's that you know they're going to auction off like pieces of the sign, anything with a logo on it. They're going to auction it off for like all those weirdos on Parlor oh, or yeah. the people who hate <laughs> him. Like the guy who kept demolishing his star in Hollywood of Walk of Fame and then he like <laughs> oh, sold yeah. letters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think that's <laughs> going to happen. Love it. It's going to be right next to like Britney's locks of hair on eBay and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> those things. Yeah, dude, it's a. Uh, I just don't understand how you can bankrupt a casino. This is like I still. If someone can explain this to me from a financial perspective, how is it possible yeah, right. you bankrupt a casino? Uh, you probably decorate it the way Trump decorates everything. It probably all went into like gaudy budget and um, bad taco bowls. I don't know. Oh, definitely bad taco bowls. Gold mm -hmm. toilets, and also they didn't like teach the blackjack guys well enough, or the you know the 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 house just always lost. Did they like skimp on the lessons for like actually playing blackjack? And they were Girl. like, I I don't know, I give up. I was like, dude, you got to hit up the Trump Casino in Atlantic City. You always win. What makes you think they allowed anything black in that casino? I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly, blackjack was off the table. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, figuratively. Um, one final story for y'all. This was the week where Putin 
showed us once again he is our daddy when we learned that Russian hackers have been accessing U.S. government agencies like the Department of Treasury and Commerce for months now, months, um, while intel intelligence agencies and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have acknowledged Russia's role, Trump, no surprises here, isn't so sure. And that makes sense because he knows it can't technically be hacking if he just sold them the codes to try and get his PP tape back. <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> please, I'll give you Wilbur Ross's password. <laughs> <laughs> it's Fabergé underscore egg 69. Like, it really is Fabergé underscore egg 69. Wilbur Ross, I see you. I know you and your little droopy ass fucking vampire face. Um, But this is like a huge hack. And I don't know. I'm like, I'm always like, uh, uh oh. Well, anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I never know how to react to these hacks because I'm like, well, did we fix it the last time? Nope. All right. Anyway, uh, doopy doo. Just going to keep going on and give my credit card to anyone who wants it on the Internet. It's infuriating to me that we're not calling this the Cold War that it is, you know, um, like uh, Agents of Chaos on HBO, which I know is very like leaning a certain way and definitely places blame a lot on like Julian Assange and, and a lot of that. But the the it was so infuriating to watch because obviously this is warfare now and we're not treating it that way. And it really should be treated that way mm. um, because there's no, there's no glitz and glamor. There's no show to it. There's no parades. There's no big tanks. There's no tech that you can, you just have to educate people and hold tech companies accountable. And that isn't sexy. That isn't right. a world war two style war where you can just, you know, jump in and win. I do love that the CIA calls all their organizations um, Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear. It. And I think the Iranian organizations are kittens. And I think that that is hilarious. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, I am obsessed. Uh, keep <laughs> One it cute, second, guys. I have thoughts on this, but Shane, can you jump in? Because I have to, my computer's going to die and I'm too, I didn't grab my plug. Hang on. Yeah, I was just thinking that my, uh, I guess, favorite kind of manifestation of this, you know, Russia-US um, conflict is uh, there's, if you can go down like a, a rabbit hole in the internet of uh, road rage clips in Syria between Russians and Americans. It's so bizarre. They're like, you know, trying to push each other off the road, um, having like standoffs, but yeah. never shooting each other, just kind of, you know, being road ragey. Yeah, and you got to love a nice like Russian road rage clip. Also, how are there so many videos? Is everybody just issued a dash cam there? Is that is that the thing? Like, we got to keep our economy going through uh, YouTube clicks. I have no idea, but it's or like the police in the U.S. or hey. doesn't hold them any more accountable. But uh, sorry about that. I um close close call there. Yeah, I mean it's weird because I you can't there's we have to say two things at once. Like we don't want the cyber attack, but I I don't want a war. Fuck yeah. that noise. I don't want another war. And also, like we shouldn't be doing this. You know, apparently the U.S. does this all the time as well to other countries. And it's like, no, nah, man, can we get like free free internet for everybody before we start doing espionage on other countries as well. So it's just. Right. It's a little bit of a, I, I don't know if 
American politicians understand that you don't necessarily respond to this like cyber war with a hot war or like yeah. droning people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and like, I don't know, I, we'll see where Biden comes down on this. You know, I think a lot of people criticized Obama for not going harder on Russian hacking, but at the same time, he was an outgoing that that's the democratic way, you know, he's yeah, outgoing. Yeah. He's got to respect the wishes of the incoming Trump administration. Hope um, and change. You mean I'll do my best. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you know, it's unclear where we want to go with all this. I just know, like, can we just fortify? How about just fortifying, you know, just not, not allowing ourselves to be so open. Maybe everyone changes their passwords and we have people who are actually tech savvy, you know, like. Well, and I love that they are broken through the um, the government contractors. So they didn't actually break in like they get in through these independent, you know, business people. And that to me, you know, there's always an argument that, you know, the free market will do better at tech, at infrastructure, at policing, at um at uh incarceration like oh yeah they're gonna do better and they never do they yeah. never do and yet people believe that it drives me crazy yeah we will we shall see um but that that was the week where you guys and let's jump into this before we before right before we go into talking to shane and i hope shane you can stay a little bit longer than seven o'clock um yeah, i want to sure. go to some comments okay thank you um, JTVJ on YouTube says no one should be hating anyone. So door needs to stop that part and just focus on the idea. Agreed. Um, going to be a difficult sell for him. I think, um, thunder voice underscore one on Twitch says Senate Democrats who fought against stimulus checks. Um, that's what he's bitching about or they're bitching about Hunter on YouTube. Thank you for, for that super chat. That's so generous of you saying that I look like Cardi B sometimes without the massively dilated pupils. Ooh. I don't see the resemblance. But like, I will take it any day of the week because, you know, Stan, Cardi, very hard. Um, let's see. Uh, and America, he continues. This person continues. Hunter uh, has so many aspects of that that make it similar to a third world country without being officially called that shaking my head. Yeah, absolutely. It it absolutely does. We we are we are like the bathrooms in JFK Airport, which. We are like the America is like the JFK airport, which is just there's like Savarsky diamonds and like Louis Vuitton shops. And then the bathrooms are shit. Like the only part that's public has like the locks don't work. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. No one's getting paid properly. Clearly. That's what America is. It's got a lot of the first world, got a lot of the third world. Um, no name on Twitch says my 69 year old mom found out she has COVID this week. I have had to threaten to take her keys. If she keeps leaving the house, she believes I'm being brainwashed by bad people because Oof. I believe in science and facts. Oh my God. That is so hard. And I'm sorry for that. Yeah. I don't know what to do. It's like, uh, I think there are, there's some great, here's what I think is great. There's some really good animations on YouTube that are actually like, here's how COVID works. And they Ooh. came out early in spring and I was watching them like, a lot because I was fascinated with how it does work and how it like, here's your lungs filling with little, you know, COVID viruses. And even just that might be a simple accessible way to be like, this is real. You need to stay home. You could be at risk. So I hope she is recovers and, and sorry to hear that. 
And thank you all for still being here. And also TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. Keep the show going. Just support everyone who makes it. Just me and a little scrappy team full of love. Um, and let's get into this week with, or we already did, but let's get into this sitch for this week. Talking with Shane about Syria, policing, and all the rest. This is the sitch. Shane Bauer, my my good friend. Um <laughs> I'm just, you're going to be my good friend, even though you don't want to. Um, but you're writing a book right now about America's involvement in Syria. And this is a civil war that's been going on since 2011. We're talking 12 million displaced people, refugees, 500,000 deaths or estimated. So we know. Um, what are you covering in this book? What do you feel like it's important to explain, I guess, primarily for an American audience about America's involvement in this very long civil war? Uh, well, I'm not necessarily in this book trying to kind of lay out all of the policy. Um, it's more of a uh, deep look at Americans uh, on kind of different, who fought on different sides of the war. So the military being one of those, but uh, also people who joined ISIS and uh, the YPG, which is a Kurdish group fighting ISIS. Um, and there's just so many insane, insane stories. I've met 50, 60 people who fought there and there's like ex-military people, there's anarchists and communists, um, random guys that were just like, I'm working at Walmart and I want to do something meaningful. So I'm going to go fight ISIS. Um, so, you know, I'm following uh, some of these people through their experience um, kind of on both sides of the front line, which also had, you know, American aircraft uh, overhead um, providing aerial support sometimes to, you know, anarchists and communists. Um, it was a weird, weird uh, world, you know, weird war. Um, yeah. But, you know, I will talk about also how, you know, the CIA's program and, and the military program um, a bit and uh, the one of the weird things about American involvement in Syria is that different parts of the government are kind of at odds with each other. Like you had the CIA backing the Free Syrian Army against uh, Assad, and then you had uh, the military essentially trying to fight ISIS and wanted, you know, Assad to stay. So it was, you know, a clusterfuck, basically. Jesus. How did that strategy or that lack of a strategy change when Obama left office and under the last four years uh, of Trump? Well, uh, towards the end of Obama's presidency, there was a turn kind of away from the strategy of uh, trying to uh, get to topple Assad or at least back the rebels that are that were trying to topple him because of ISIS. And because they're even, you know, the, the rebels were getting more mixed up in uh, Islamic groups, especially uh, Jabhat al-Nusra, which is al-Qaeda. Um, so... You know, they, Obama was shifting kind of away from that. And then uh, Trump, you know, officially ended it pretty quickly uh, and focused on ISIS. Um, and, you know, the weird thing is that I think when people look back on America's involvement in Syria, it's like we think about the, you know, the, the moment that Obama was thinking about bombing Syria, um, the chemical attacks. Uh, and I think tr the involvement of the Trump administration has gotten a lot less attention um but the bombing the level of bombing is just 
accelerated so tremendously under Trump. Um, and this is all in the counter ISIS campaign, but um, there was an entire city, uh, which I've been to many times, uh, Raqqa, which was just, just, just flattened, you know, I've never seen anything like this. And it was just, um, just completely bombarded from the air. So it was this kind of like war strategy where, you know, Americans were uh, not putting themselves at risk. Uh, they had, you know, essentially people on the ground fighting and they were just, just bombing from the air. Um, and people, you know, kind of gave the U.S. carte blanche because it was ISIS. You know, everyone wanted to get rid of ISIS. So it was kind of like, do what you have to do. And there was never, I mean, what was the facilitation or what has been the humanitarian facilitation of any kind of civilians out of that situation? Like that wasn't even on the table to negotiate. Yeah, I mean, it was hard. Uh, I mean, ISIS was not letting civilians out of these cities also, you know, so people would try to leave and they would get shot um, because right. ISIS knew that, you know, having civilians in the city was was easier for them. But uh, it, or it, they weirdly were kind of banking on the idea that Americans would not bomb civilians, you know. Um, mm. Man, you know, they gambled but, wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, you know, people found ways out at, at different times, you know, before, like, you know, the war would kind of come to each city at a different time. And uh, there were periods where people could leave, but a lot of people didn't, you know, either because they didn't know it was coming or they couldn't, they had no money. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not easy yeah. just to kind of leave your house in the middle of a war zone. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, it's like, it definitely feels like, the consensus, obviously, between Assad and Russia, who has helped on the side of Assad, um, and now the U.S. have kind of been coalescing, right? And yeah. um, so, and, and there's so many foreign actors in what is effectively a proxy yeah. war and has been a proxy war. But now that we're like in the year 2020, what state is Syria in now, and where where do things stand? Um, I. So the last time I was in Syria was in February, um, and even at that time, this has just gotten worse. But uh, ec the economic situation is is really really bad in Syria. Um, you know, there's we think about like the bombings and this kind of um, sort of spectacular battles. Um, which were horrific, uh, but the country is now just really being ground down. And and it's also affected, you know, populations that have been pro-Assad uh, because right. people have heating gas anymore. So there's been moments of kind of like protests um, in <clears throat> Alawite cities. And, uh, but, you know, I think there's somewhat of a stalemate um, in the country for now, um, the U.S. controls about the U.S. and its allies control about a third of the country. Um, Assad is pretty clearly won the you know the rest of the country aside from uh, the area the U.S. controls, uh, which is the Northeast, and then also Idlib, which is uh, the kind of last pocket that's held by uh, the opposition. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they've been trying to fight to regain that. Um, so that city gets bombed still from the Syrian government in Russia. Um, and then there's there's the wild card of Turkey, which, you know, Turkey is also uh, 
always wanting to kind of move in on the Kurds in the Northeast, but it's for now the U.S. is there. So, you know, necessarily think that these lines that have been drawn are going to stay this way. Um, it's just hard to know. You know, it's it really yeah. is pretty much completely dependent on these international uh, backers that are kind of, you know, um, using their proxies on the ground. Right. I mean, it, and I was, the, what I was watching earlier with this road rage is you have these situations now where like, you know, the U.S. and Russia are uh, kind of right next to each other in some places. And literally, like there will be, you know, Russian convoys driving down the road next to an American convoy and they'll like be trying to push each other off the road. <laughs> It's like they won't shoot at each other, but they're like getting in these crazy road rage situations. It's it's really bizarre. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, if the one there's like, you know, I mean, this is the thing is like the one positive is that there's maybe less ISIS. Right. But then how many civilians had to die to accomplish that? Um, but it yeah. is like one of the just one of the many, 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 many forces. And and like I encourage everyone to read Shane's um piece about this for mother jones um which also has is a video series and it is it behind the front lines or behind uh, the lines yeah behind the, the lines, lines yeah. yeah i mean one last question on syria that i wanted to ask you is you know it is you know you trying to be an independent journalist being an independent journalist covering syria and knowing just how um, fractured and frayed the discussion has been. And I think deliberately, I think we yeah. know that Assad and Russia have absolutely won the propaganda war when it comes to disinformation online. Um, that's been won, right? And yeah. the fact that people who've worked on this issue closely are at each other's throats, are calling each other, you know, agents of X, Y, and Z, you know, government. It's, and for me, someone who's been politicized by the anti-Iraq and Afghanistan war movements, initially when this whole thing with Syria happened, it was like, well, where do we fit in? How do we support the people, you know, the yeah. people who wanted Assad gone um, and, and the people who obviously were rightfully scared. And, and I think the people who've been sidelined and bombed and, you know, uh, uh, made to be refugees. But as an anti-war organizer, you're always like, well, so sovereignty and how do I, you know, support this effort? But you can't do that without being called you know, a regime change imperialist yeah. who wants Americans to go in there, et cetera, et cetera. How do you find your way and why, what gives you like, I guess if you want to just explain some of that misinformation and how you like mm -hmm. navigate that jungle. Well, I mean, I think the way that I've learned to navigate it is just getting off Twitter <laughs> because it's really the only place that you see it, you know, um, a lot of this misinformation stuff really plays out on Twitter and it's effective because journalists are on Twitter, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's not even like there's a version of a story that like, uh, you know, an example is the chemical attacks. This is, a, you know, an issue that has had a lot of misinformation on the internet um, back, to, you know, from the Syrian government and Russia, um, just saying that they're fake and, right. It's not even that, you know, people are seeing the stuff and they're like, oh, it, it was fake. It's just they're seeing so many. It's like the, the, the waters are muddied, you know, it's just like, oh, I've seen that they're fake. I, I don't know, you know, who really knows. So it just kind of basically pushes people to kind of just 
just disconnect and give up, you know? Totally. It's like, well, uh, if and, you, and, and also, and, and it pushes people to say, well, if you're not an expert on it, you can't, you can't care about what's going on, you know? Um, yeah. Which it's, is it's a really great way to, to disconnect. Me, like, you know, I've, I was very sucked into that, those kind of Syria, social media, Twitter battles for a long time. And um, what's interesting to me, like looking back on that is that it's very, it's a really small number of people, you know, um, that are just really good at trolling and just, you know, pissing people off, pissing off journalists, making them fight with them, being like, hey, come come debate me on my show now, you know? Right. It's just, uh, I mean, and this is just a thing that happens on Twitter a lot, you know, as we see, like, there's journalists who basically uh, make their name on Twitter. And the best way to do that is just start picking fights with people, like, with more followers than you, you know? It's mm. kind of a, a winning strategy. But, who know, you know, it's going to last. What's going to happen with these people? I mean, they get so marginalized because... They just become, you know, at least with Syria, it's like they just sound like kooks that are just completely repeating uh, the Russian line on, you know, an issue. And like, obviously, you know, being opposed to American uh, war efforts, American involvement in other countries should not necessarily push you to be like a Russia apologist. I mean, that's, you know. Right. I mean, that's the thing is like, I've heard it's like. Yeah, war crimes are war crimes are war crimes, y'all. It doesn't matter who's doing it. We don't support that kind of shit. Like, doesn't matter. I mean, and so, and I just, the Syrians of a war is so complicated and I've appreciated your reporting on it from being honest about how many actors there are, about the shifting terrain, about the, you know, the human costs and the, and the lives that have been caught up in it. So it's like, it's such a not black and white uh, war. And- yeah. I think we forget that and it doesn't mean we disengage, but it means like, you know, rather than rushing to like, well, we know exactly how to feel about this. Yeah. Um, and it's also a war that's not going to be like hashed out on Twitter. It's just way too complicated <laughs> for that. You know, <laughs> If only we could solve it <laughs> by getting enough faves. Um, all right. Well, I wanted to ask you, you wrote this incredible piece about the Vallejo police department and based on the murder of a young man, um, who was demonstrating and potentially involved in looting, I believe, Sean yeah. Monterosa and Vallejo, but but was shot five times. Um, tell us to what you learned from your from your reporting about that police department. Yeah, so Sean Monterosa got killed. Uh, you know, the that week of the first week of the George Floyd uprising, he was looting in Vallejo, um, and I, you know, kind of thought, let me just write about this person. This person was, you know. A looter like there's kind of this whole debate about looting but he got killed you know but as i dug into it you know i really started to understand more about the vallejo police department and um how the city essentially the city politics had been uh taken over by the police union the city went bankrupt uh in um 2008 and uh because so much of the uh the general fund of the city was going to the, the police and firefighters. Their union had had just won crazy contracts. It was like they won like 40% uh, uh, wage increases over like five years or something. Damn. Um, 
if only think- teachers could get that. They got they like a struggle for like an 11% over 10 years or something. Yeah. Right. Do you think that was in part due to the increased fires in Northern California and campaigning together for more funds? Um, I didn't see that money? come up. And, you know, this is 2008. So it was, I mean, I guess fires were going up then, but this is before this kind of okay. like world that we're in now. Yeah. Perpetual the, flame. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the police also, um, I found had gone, there was a councilwoman who at that time was really pushing to try to like lower their contracts, you know, and part of the reason the city declared bankruptcy was so that they could renegotiate their contracts with the cops Hmm. and the police, um, police actually went into her house and were like, uh, they were driving by her house all the time. Um, you know, she felt threatened by them. And then uh, they, a couple cops went into her house and were posting on these like chat rooms about stuff that was in her bedroom. And it was like, you know, the the kind of stuff and, and they're killing a lot of people. I mean, just a really extraordinary amount of, of police killings. Um, you know, they're always, uh, you know, they're in we we in California can actually now there's new laws that allow us to get the records of their own internal investigations. Mm-hmm. So they wrote these not thinking we would ever see them, but you know it's just like obviously yeah, you, they're no one no one's ever at fault. You wrote that um, since Michael Brown's killing in 2014, homicides uh, in major cities have gone down by like 30 percent, but these like mm-hmm. smaller Valle has a smaller, yeah. more suburban town yeah. have been rising do you yeah. do you have a theory as to why i mean i don't know why exactly but some thoughts i've had on it is that you know uh there have been you know reforms made in a lot of major cities uh as a result of the black lives matter movement and mm-hmm. those protests that we saw years ago and they have had an effect, you know, um, so police killings have been going down in those places. But in places like Vallejo and small cities, um, you know, there's not that kind of pressure. You know, there's not as much of a media infrastructure, legal infrastructure, just, you know, activist movement. Right. Um, and on top of that, you know, like taking Vallejo as an example, cops from from Oakland, when Oakland was was forced to to go through reforms, uh, through a, you know, a court mandated mandated reforms, cops left and went to Vallejo, and those cops that left, you know, have a super high rate of shootings. You know, so there there are cops leaving these places that are are being forced to go having are being a subject to more accountability, and yeah. then they go to places that have less. Yeah. The same thing happened with the LAPD after the Rodney King beatings and mm-hmm. riots. When they in, when they instituted uh, police reforms, they scattered all throughout the Southern California region. And so Long Beach, Montebello, Bellflower, yeah. Hawaiian Gardens all got these uh, dirty cops yeah. out of LAPD. So Damn. they still take care of their own. They just moved. I mean, literally, most of them didn't even have to move. You know, they just yeah. stayed there. Yeah, and yeah. cops, you know, that get fired from somewhere uh, mm-hmm. can get rehired other places. It happens all the time, you know, especially smaller, you know, towns that have a harder time hiring police. They'll they'll take those guys. You know what's and- crazy? I'm pretty sure if you get fired from a Chipotle, you can't apply at a different Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> There's more accountability in Chipotle <laughs> than there is 
in many police departments. Yes. My God, that's so, mm, that's got to be a bit, Anna. I really hope it is. <laughs> I do <laughs> hope that is a bit. Um, I mean, and, and just this case, uh, Shane was like, when Sean Monterosa was killed, there was a tape of a police officer, like a, a dashboard cam or a body cam yeah. where an officer is saying something like, don't worry, you'll be fine to yeah, yeah. The, the person who shot him. Yeah, um, exactly. And, you know, because that's how it always is. You know, these, right. these guys have never not just never been prosecuted, but not even punished internally after shooting somebody. And, you know, just to give you a sense of what, like, what this police union is like, they a year or two ago uh, went into you know City Hall and were pushing for a contract change, which was um, that the contract allowed the city to mandate drug testing for a cop after he shot somebody. The city didn't enforce this. But they were like, we have to get that taken out. <laughs> and they did, you know, um, and they they go after journalists. So just recently, um, a great Bay Area reporter, Otis Taylor, he he's just um, left to go to Atlanta. And uh, the union, the police union from Vallejo, you know, which the city he writes about a lot, uh, emailed him and, you know, was basically like good riddance. We're going to let our guys in Atlanta know about you. You know, My it's just God. like it's this kind of really that's kind of so like, chilling yeah and it's it's like the norm there you know i mean this is this is the endless debate around police unions i mean i think as progressives it's hard because we want to support unions um but right. the role of police unions is exactly that you can't even like they're resisting a drug test they're resisting and this is what i don't get is like they resist things that would benefit them like trauma training or you know uh, yeah. a counselor right stuff that everyone should be able to go through, especially if your job is as dangerous as being a cop. Right. So. Yeah. But the idea is like, you know, they don't want anybody who's not a cop, you know, meddling basically. They don't want to like open that door to let uh, any kind of civilian oversight. in. right. They want like their buddy, like Bruce to be like, Hey, he seems fine. Are you yeah, cry yeah. lately. You cry. Yeah. Why don't you cry right now? <laughs> cry for me, you little bitch. And then, you know, that's the therapy. <laughs> <laughs> my god uh before i let you go marlo buford on or buford on youtube says i see why shane can't even just have a relaxing sunday night you have so much on your mind this is a horrific situation for americans but it's nothing like syria thank you shane um agreed thank amen you. and and thanks so much for joining us and everyone please check out his work check out his mother jones article which is a gr uh, so so in depth and their accompanying videos and footage and your forthcoming book, which is called, what's the name? Uh, there's no, no no name yet. So right. it's going to be a while. So writing it. <laughs> I will buy it and I will Hurry read it up. as I read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And thanks for being on the show. You guys, Shane was on episode three of the Bituation Room back in 2018. And we talked all about his time going undercover in a Louisiana prison as he was a correctional uh, officer. Um, uh, working inside of a prison and then wrote an entire book about that. So he, he does have another book out if you want to read that. Um, and Anna, we got one more segment. We haven't told the people what it is though. Okay. Let's tell them. Well, let's tell them this is a segment it's brand new suggested. Of course it's brand new because it's, it's the fourth segment, final segment tradition here in the habituation room, new segment. Um, it's suggested from our lovely producer, Becca Roofer. Um, this is pitch me a Hallmark holiday film. 
All right. I'll get started. All <laughs> so, right. Okay. First of all, I don't have the Hallmark channel and I have not seen a Hallmark movie, but I've seen enough. Like okay. I've seen the sparkly lights. I've seen the blonde hair. I've seen the like, like very, you know, the, the, the parts on all the dudes in the same place, the scarves, the like chunky sweaters, the, the, the golden retrievers. Like I get it, you know, it's about yeah. magic. It's about magic and there's a similar, there's a similar, yes, very white, very well, so white hallmark hashtag. So white. Um, so there's a, a basic structure, which is big city business lady comes home because her father has lupus and his toenails and he has to, <laughs> she, she's helping out the family and she realizes the magic of small town life, but doesn't want to leave her high powered job. But then her former love who broke her heart shows up and suddenly <laughs> she has a reason to stay and she stays in her town and everyone's happily ever after. So it's this, it's this constant retelling of living your life small. Mm, yeah, it sounds very anti-feminist. Like, see, yeah. problem is, you went to the big city, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you big Salsa. Sorry, I don't know why. Yes, I get a rope! Oh my god. Um, <laughs> so, oh man, it, it was. Oh, I can I just say, I Please. did not know Shane wrote that book, and I should pick it up because I grew up in a town that had two and a half prisons. Yeah, wow. a youth authority, uh, level two California state prison. And, uh, and another one called, uh, there was a fire camp. So, uh, yeah, two and a half prisons. That's what I call it. Uh, it was amazing. Fire uh, camp. Yeah. Fire camp where they Is train that for the pyros. Oh, okay. So the, 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 um, the inmates to go out and fight fires, which, Oh shit. Uh, oh yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the thing yeah. that we've been talking about this entire year of wildfires. Yes. Yes. So, um, my, my pitch for the Hallmark Hall of Fame movie would be, um, okay. Big, okay. Um, okay. So uh, big city warden comes home uh, to, to visit uh, their, their family. And they realize that their father's business is failing. The one of three, uh, one of three businesses on the main street of Ione, California are failing. And what will the town do if the town doesn't have its pharmacy slash post office? Mm -hmm. Slash Taco Bell. Slash Taco Bell, how will they possibly be able to survive? In fact, it employs the only 10 people that don't work at the prison there. Did I mention there's a lot of prisons? So then he realizes, I'm going to stay and I'm going to try to help my father. Uh, she, she, she realizes she's going to stay and help her father run the business. But then the warden from the prison that's there stops and says, uh, stops by one day and says, we don't like your kind here. You're a big city warden. <laughs> and then you find out that he once stood her up for prom and, and they sit there and they banter back and forth and they keep running into each other. Cause it's one of three businesses. And in order to get a Coca-Cola, you got to go there. And he loves yeah, it's just a conveyor belt. The small town is like, Oh shit. Oh That's shit. It. Oh shit. Yeah. So then he shows up and they start to have sparks fly ladies and gentlemen, as mm. he, she helps her because a large order of um, stamps had to go out and she needed or or pharmaceutical drugs. I have no idea. Probably sexy, 
probably Sudafed so they can make more meth in that town. And so she had to package all the Sudafed. And um, and he was like, you know what? I'll help you out. We'll call it my amends for when I left you at prom. And then they fall in love and she decides to stay and they run the prison together. Yay. Yay. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what the, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's definitely sort of like, like a, like a, who, like a Toby Keith song that kicks yes. in yes. at the end of that. I'm just warning, trying to get this holiday card. I got all the cheer. I got all the inmates. They're fighting the fires. I don't know. Um, oh. oh, yeah. And uh, one of the features in it is a real thing that happens in this town where they have a lot of parades for no reason, even though Main Street, sure. I kid you not, is half a block long. Yeah, so they just have a parade like every six months, very short parade. <laughs> and uh, so the the Christmas parade, real thing, the Christmas parade's happening. And uh -huh. uh, the 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 big city warden and the uh, the the small town warden, they are both um, they're both judges for the floats and for the ugly truck and ugly dog contest, real things that happen in Ion, California. But uh, he convinces the prison marching band, which is always the end of the parade. Yes, that's a real thing. I'm not oh making this my up. God. A real oh thing. My God. The prison marching band uh, to stop and play her her favorite song so they can dance. This is dark. <laughs> that's some dark, like... That damn dude, mine is way, way not like I didn't. I learned a lot about the prison industrial complex and small town living <laughs> at the same time, and I, I, that's educational. <laughs> oh my god, I love it! I love it. That's the holiday season. I own California. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, my holiday, my holiday hallmark pitch to you is imagine a Taylor Swift CD dressed in flannel that's our main character just taylor swift cd in a flannel <laughs> with like a little bit of cleavage but not 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 tasteless you know what i mean yeah, yeah and um the cd opens up a holiday petting zoo just for the holidays with like little sheep and bells and like little goats and stuff like that but it's under threat of closure due to the pandemic and yeah. like means evil scientists who are like oh you need to wear a mask and they're like bah, no you know <laughs> <laughs> so are i don't know if i'm getting like, this right are the sheep like QAnon? are they yeah, like <laughs> yeah sheep are super red pill dude yeah um <laughs> Taylor Swift, not so sure. The, I mean, the CD, not her herself, just the CD, just uh -huh. mostly flannel. Um, it's just like, you know, one of those bodies that move. And so they have to raise funds. And so they, uh, the CD starts busking on the corner um, to try to raise money where it meets a hot love interest. Or is he an angel? Like maybe he's an angel from God, but we don't know. But he's played by Nick Lachey, formerly of 98 Degrees. Um and Nick and the Taylor Swift CD join forces. He's in blue flannel. She's in red flannel, of course. And he joins her in singing and they raise money to open up two petting zoos eventually. And uh, they all live happily ever maskless until, um, well, they probably get COVID at some point. But yeah, until they, they die because there's no ventilator in whatever town they live in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing about the Hallmark towns. There's no ventilators left in them. No ventilators. There is no ventilator. We used to. I swear to God, the, the love story should be like, "I see you, 
I see. <laughs> I think they shoot most of the Hallmark movies, especially the Christmas ones, in one town in Canada, and I cannot remember the name of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they shoot them all like in one place. Um, so that's why they all look the same. Come off in the comments if you know. Anna Valenzuela. Thank you so much for joining us. Follow her, everyone, on Twitter at Anna V is fun. Mm. And she is and she has been. Thank you so much for joining us. Be safe. Happy holidays. Next week, we're going to do a wrap up of the year. We got Matt Lieb coming back on the show. Then my friend Tej Nagaraja. You're going to love him. He's a historian. He's an old homie. We're going to shoot the shit. Um, but look forward to that. Look forward to it. I'm just ordering you to look forward to it. And thank you so much for everyone who's tipped and for uh, my producer, Becca Roofer, Kelly Carey, Dorsey Shaw. Um, remember, Trump lost. Trump is a loser. Lahu Zahir, he lost big time. And this week, Mitch McConnell admitted about just as much. So as of this morning, our country has officially a president-elect and a vice president-elect. Many millions of us had hoped the presidential election would yield a different result. But our system of government has processes to determine who will be sworn in on January the 20th. The Electoral College has spoken. Mm. Mm. He didn't quite say Biden's name, but he tried. Will Mitch help drag Trump out of the Oval Office? I don't know. TBD. Or will there be martial law? TBD. For now, have a good week, you guys. Stay super safe. Keep your family safe. Have a good Christmas if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, and remember, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Goodbye.